If you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Welcome, and I'm glad you're here today. We're continuing our study of Colossians, and we will look at this paragraph again this Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, we were in these scriptures, and we covered verse 12, um, to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. We talked about being God's chosen ones, uh, holy and beloved, and then we looked at these different similar metaphor of clothing that we put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And that's about as far as we got. So we're continuing in verse 13, and we'll look at each one of these verses and break down uh, some of what the Apostle Paul is exhorting the church at Colossae to walk in. Um, I titled this uh, sermon, Life Together. You might notice in the reading when Keely read it that there are scriptures in verse 13 that's saying bearing with one another. So it's talking about how we live life together in the, in the body of Christ specifically, how we live together with one another. After that, it said forgiving each other. So the focus is on how we live with one another. In verse 16, it said, teaching and admonishing one another. So it's talking about how we live together. Verse 15 speaks of being called in one body. So life together. How do we as uh, Christians live together? So we put on these artic articles of clothing in verse 13. says, bearing with one another. So we want to look at that, bearing with one another. All relationships, so most of you all have had re different kinds of uh, relationships with people, and relationships within the body of Christ are no different 
Paul expects that there will be clashes of all kinds. Uh, he expects that there will be a need to be bearing with one another within the church. Bearing with implies kind of a, a, a grudging willingness. So you're willing to bear with uh, one another, but it's, uh, and you're willing to, but it's done kind of grudgingly. So that means there's something there that, you know, is just a, a clash that you have. It can be like bearing with one another can be to put up with. So it implies that there's going to be some difficult uh, times in relationships with one another, and we're to be bearing with one another. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on the book of uh, Colossians, uh, quoted this old rhyme that people used to say a long time ago, uh, and the original author's name was lost, but it says this, To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> it implies that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, that in the relationships here and now with one another, we will need to bear with one another. There will be times when we need to put up with one another. Many people today um, within the church, it's easier to when there's some, something that needs bearing with one another, it's sometimes people just leave. They go their separate ways. There's other churches to go to. At the Church of Colossae, there's one church there, and that's it. And you're going to need to bear with one another. There's no other place you can go for fellowship. There was one church in these local communities that the apostle's writing to, and he cares for these churches, and he wants them to get along with each other. And he says, as you live life together, there's going to need to be a, a need for you to be bearing with one another. In Romans 14, Paul discussed some of those issues of foods that you eat. There were some clashes with that. Ooh, I don't like eating that. Oh, you eat like that. There, and those, some, some of those things still go on today. There was issues over alcohol, whether to drink wine or not. Or There was even uh, clashes about certain days that you consider certain special. And then other people know all days are common. So the apostle is uh, getting them to bear with on these particular preferences that people might have. Today we might have uh, political differences and that's getting ever and ever more polarizing um, within people and with, within people within churches. There's these different, uh, uh, you know, vaccinations, whether you get them or not, that's becoming very polarizing. You do, I don't like that. You, you, you don't, I don't like that, you know, and there's these things. People are going to have different issues on how they deal with their health. And, and some of these issues, uh, we're going to need to just bear with one another and realize that there's differences. And sometimes we just have a personality conflict with somebody. Um, and so there's going to be a need to bear with one another during these uh, clashes. Uh, there, you're going to need to be ongoing. So bearing with means that that's not going to just bear with one time. Uh, you know, it's going to be go ongoing. You know, issues are going to, you know, rise up and the need's going to be bearing with 
And then it says one another. So that doesn't mean that you're just bearing with others. Believe it or not, some people are bearing with you. Okay? It's mutual. It's reciprocal. It means bearing with one another. So the bearing with is ongoing and it's mutual and it's reciprocal. Um, you'll be putting up with others at times and sometimes others will be putting up with you. But now it goes into something different. It says, now if anyone has a complaint against another, this is an actual moving into areas not just of preference but areas of sin against one another. So when you have a complaint against each other, if anyone has a complaint against another, this is moving into a deeper issue of not just an offense of a personality clash or maybe a preference over something or another, but it's going into when somebody sins against you. And, or, and so you, you have an actual complaint against one another. It says forgiving each other. So this is a forgiving each other. It's the same uh, word there, each other, one another. So there's times when you will need to forgive others, others will need to forgive you. Then it gives this qualification, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So forgiveness, deeper issue of offense, it's, it's going to be needed in the body of Christ. Paul expects they're going to need to learn how to forgive. He realizes that uh, even as Christians, we're still sinners. We're still battling against sin. Those sins are going to clash, offend one another. We're going to sin against each other. And he's preparing them for that and saying, you need to actively be walking, forgiving each other. And there's a couple of different words uh, for forgiving. One of them implies, you know, letting go, releasing, pardoning that person. But the word here that's used in the Greek means to give freely and unconditional forgiveness it implies that you give it uh, in in a gracious way uh, it, it's that it doesn't it's not earned uh, it's it's you walking in this forgiveness and so it is implying that in, in the apostles uh, choosing this word in the greek and it's also given in the present tense which means making this forgiveness is to be unceasing and unwearying. Like you're never to weary in doing this. You're going to need to walk in forgiving one another. So it implies all of that in this word. And you might think of Matthew chapter 18 where Peter comes to Jesus and asks in verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or that translation's a little hard. It could be 70 times, seven times, if you like 490 times. So what it means is unceasingly, not just seven times, but unceasingly forgive. Walk in that forgiveness. Jesus realized you're going to need to walk with your brother and sister in this forgiveness, to be willing to resolve uh, sins against you with this type of gracious nature, the forgiving nature, and then he qualifies it here in Colossians, as God, as the Lord has forgiven you, 
So it's qualifying that. It's as the Lord has forgiving, forgiven you, you also must forgive. Pointing us to Jesus. Pointing to his forgiveness that we have uh, received from him at the cross and that we daily receive from him for our own sins that we commit. Walking in that kind of forgiveness toward others in the same way that we too are forgiven. This parallel scripture in Ephesians 4 says, uh, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So remembering that forgiveness that comes from the Lord, that work of reconciliation that he achieved at the cross. Remember Colossians 1.22, he says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. You like that, right? That forgiveness you receive in Christ? Well, he says, forgive one another in that same gracious nature, unwearying nature. Pretty big challenge, huh? Yeah, that's how we're supposed to walk to one another. The Apostle Paul knows for the body of Christ to get along, they're going to need this exhortation. Christ has done this for you, so also should you be forgiving each other. And then he gets to verse 14 and he says, Above all these, now it takes us back to verse 12 where he said, Put on, and he listed these five attributes that, and virtues that we put on, these graces that come to us in Christ and through the gospel. Now he says, Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So he's back to these imperatives. We talked about that as we've gone through these, these authoritative commands to put on. And here he says, put on love. And he's saying above all. And on top of all these, you know, it's like you're putting on these layers of clothing, the compassionate hearts, all what he listed and now above all that on top of all that in addition to all these clothes you've put on put on love it's the supreme grace uh, that you you put on and and carry with you in your uh, your approach and attitude towards one another above all these things above all put on love again our source, we have a source for this. We're not mustering this up. It comes from the love and the grace that we've received from Christ. John 15, verses 12 through 13, you know, Jesus says, this is my commandment. That's authoritative. That you love one another. As I have loved you. And he, he explained that type of love and the love he was giving and would ultimately give in the following verse. He says, greater love has no one than this than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you remember he calls them friends. He does lay his life down for them. So this is the type of love of being sacrificial, of laying your life down. When you put on, clothe yourself in love, it goes back to those, those attributes like humility, that we looked at clothing yourselves with humility, putting, putting that on. This love is a laying down of your life. It would be that forgiveness. I'm forgiving. 
I'm bearing with because all of this is from Christ. But this love, Jesus loved us sacrificially. He laid down his life uh, for us, and we do likewise. So we value our time, but we value each other's time. We lay our life down and we expend our time in our service to others. We expend our money, not just on ourselves and providing for ourselves, but we work hard that we'll have something to give to those who are in need around us and within the body of Christ. So we give the, out of love uh, money. We give encouragement. We desire to pour into others. We're not coming to just get. Sometimes it's emotional support. Uh, support. It's being a listening ear and a kind and attentive listening ear for somebody. It's in all these areas, it's putting on love it's putting on love and then he brings up that it does what it does it binds everything together in perfect harmony the way the ESV says it and Peter O'Brien in his commentary on the book of Colossians says love binds together the members of the congregate congregation into a unity in the body of Christ and produces this perfection. Like you can't be perfected, you can't come to completeness in your life without being in this kind of relationship within the body of Christ. So as we're walking together and we're putting on love, we're being perf perfected, we're being bonded together in a perfect bond of unity. Paul is concerned uh, for his readers corporate life together he's he's concerned about the perfection that is set before them and how they will achieve that perfection in God and he exhorts them that this is attained not individually not by you going off you know into the mountains by yourself and living as a hermit and just having a relationship with God in the wilderness and nature but by being together with one another, having to bear with, forgiving all these, and then having to put on love and walk in service with your fellow body of Christ and rub shoulders with and offend and forgive. And in the muck and toil of walking together with one another, are you perfected and played beautifully the music that God desires to play through you, to, uh, you know, for his life to be perfected in you so it's attained only as christians walk together in fellowship that's why it's so important to come uh, together and to walk together uh, in fellowship because you're to put on this love to show love to one another and it is by this love the above all of the graces that he gives that the body comes together in unity and is built together in unity and is built up together in unity so love is very much not an individual thing it's a corporate thing that involves being in relationships together with one another and our perfect harmony that God desires to achieve will not be achieved individually it will be uh, achieved with our life together as members in the body of Christ and that love recognizes and always looks to Jesus as the conductor he is the, the leader, and he desires to lead us all 
together into love. He commanded it for us to love one another as he loved us. And he is leading us together in those relationships uh, so that we, as the body of Christ, will display the music of Jesus. He's leading. He's the conductor. And he desires for all, all of us to play together in perfect harmony. Like you're playing out of tune. Hey, and you know that because you're clashing with somebody. It brings up things that you need to work on and how can you best walk together in love. Paul knows that. He expects that, and he exhorts them to, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then he goes on into the next verse, let the peace of Christ rule. Love and peace. Now he's saying this isn't something we put on, this is something we let. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful what do you think the apostle paul here is talking about when he says let the peace of christ rule in your hearts what peace do you be do you believe that the apostle paul is exhorting them to let rule that jesus's peace rule it is his peace but in a sense there's very first and foremost the peace that has been mentioned earlier in Colossians, which talks about the peace that reconciles you with God. So it's a reconciliation peace. Most of us want to jump right away to the peace is this calm that I walk around in in my heart. But the first and foremost biblical reconciliation type of peace that needs to take place is our enmity that we have with God. The Bible declares that we're walking in enmity. We're hostile towards God. And I know a lot of people don't, they're like, oh, I'm not really hostile to him. Maybe they're um, agnostic, just not either way, but not consider them hostile. But the scripture would describe, uh, you know, the lost as walking in hostility toward God. There's, there's actually a rebellious nature towards God that cannot submit to the things of God and does not like the things of God. Uh, that's within the heart. That's the, describing the heart of the lost. So this first peace with God is a peace that brings, uh, that God brings to us in Christ, this reconciling peace, Colossians 1.20. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. We sang about the blood this morning. We, and, and this scripture is talking about only the blood of the cross can reconcile you in your relationship to God. Only the blood of Jesus the blood that he shed at the cross is the only reconciling way you can come back into peace with God. You are at enmity with God. You are at war with God. And this is the only means by which we come back into that peace. So that first part of peace, so let the peace of Christ rule in your heart is let that rule. How are you reconciled? It, only by the blood of the cross was I reconciled uh, to God through Jesus. And, I, and Jesus reconciled me to himself. 
you know, this scripture says uh, he's reconciling all things to himself because, of course, Colossians is saying Jesus is God. And so he's reconciling us, Jesus, to himself. Um, so in your sin, being at war with God, Jesus justified you and took you out. And we say this in our gospel announcement every day that we've been uh, reconciled, rescued out of and from the wrath of God into peace with God through Jesus Christ. So as we announce that every week, we're announcing that gospel announcement of the peace that we have with God, the reconciling peace, the rescuing peace of God from the wrath of God that abided on us to now the peace of God abides on us in Christ. So we walk in that, that peace that's reconciled us. Um, we haven't earned that. Shippen had her story of the pine just receiving that uh, nourishing, flowing water from God, that refreshing. All of it comes. Our salvation is refreshing, comes uh, through receiving it. Nothing that we have done. So we walk in that reconciling peace. That changes our, how, our attitude and how we walk with one another when we're letting that peace rule. But the peace of Christ does uh, include the peace that reigns in our hearts so we do have peace we must have peace with Christ and then we will have the peace from Christ I don't know that helped me a lot so we have to walk in and receive this reconciling saving peace from Christ and then we will actually receive the peace uh, from Christ that calm in our heart that we can walk through in the midst of the storms of life so the peace of christ would include both of these this is the kind of peace that jesus was talking about in john 14 27 peace i live with leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives to you do i give to you different than the world's peace let not your heart be troubled neither let them be afraid this peace that's in your heart not to be troubled that's the peace from christ but you first must have the peace with christ amen in, in john 16 he says i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart i've overcome the world this is that peace from jesus we have peace with christ so let that peace rule let that peace rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. We let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts because we're called into one body. Looking at that, to what does that mean? To indeed which you were called into one body. And the parallel scripture here from Ephesians again, Ephesians 4, 3, if you ever read those side by side, you'll see these almost same things, parallel things said um, together that, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And in Ephesians 4, 3, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're eager to maintain that. Let's walk together in peace. I'm eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and to walk in that bond of peace that we all share together so that peace ruling in our hearts does that for us when peace 
when peace is the ruling factor, and a, a lot of the um, commentaries brought up that, what does it mean to, that it's ruling? And they use the word, it's used similar like in an umpire, when an umpire rules. So that peace is the umpiring, deciding factor uh, within us and how our relationships are maintained in that unity of spirit. Peace rules, like, you know, along with love, above all, put on love. Now let the peace rule. So that peace is that umpire that, that, that we walk in with one another. Let that peace rule in our hearts implies that Christ should be the ruling principle in all our relationships with one another. That peace is that ruling umpire, Christ ruling there, that peace we have from him. So if we're quarreling and in disharmony, we recognize that. The peace isn't ruling. The, the peace isn't umpiring in my life right now. There's these quarrels and disharmony going on. But we're called to walk in oneness in the body of Christ. So let peace be the umpire. Let peace rule. Submit to it passive, passively. Like let the peace rule. That's something you're actively, you know, like putting on. But just let it rule. It's there within you. Uh, let it, let that peace of Christ rule. And then he goes on and says, and be thankful. I was very ministered to this. I was up on the ski area uh, with Naomi and she was up skiing and I was reading this and I got to it and I just it was so nice because it was just beautiful and the snow and on the mountain I was reading that and uh, I had walked and gone to my truck and was reading my commentary and I got to that and I was just able to spin like I was like you know it's going to be like another hour before Naomi gets here and I literally got caught up in, in being thankful I just you know couldn't believe it I was like it just hit me like a ton of bricks like a weighty thing and before I know it I was like later than normal checking in with Naomi if she was coming down from the mountain or not because I had just been caught up in being thankful and I pray that you have experiences like that in this uh, closing verse uh, verse 17 and this is actually a theme throughout uh, Colossians but in verse 17 right here together uh, he's using this word here in, in 15 and closing out verse 15 and be thankful and then in verse 17 giving thanks to God the Father through him is how he closes out this paragraph uh, so it's very much intertwined and I want to come back to that hopefully in closing but as we look at this, this uh, next verse it says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another we have that this is why you're letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Because when you do, you're going to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So there you have the thankfulness again, which we'll, we'll come back to again. But right now, let's look at let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. First of all, what is the word of Christ? Why would the Apostle Paul say it that way? Let the word of Christ specifically so the word of Christ specifically is what he's been talking about in Colossians, which is the word of the gospel. Here's how he said it in the opening verses of Colossians 1.5. He said, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. 
So this is specifically the gospel message that the Apostle Paul was, was called to. Uh, the fulfillment of all the scriptures in the word of God, of the redemptive history that was accomplished in Jesus. So specifically the word of Christ dwelling richly in you. Let the word of the truth of the gospel dwell richly within you. And this is kind of my uh, favorite thing to, to discuss over the last 10 years is the gospel. And I really believe that's the emphasis and the commentaries and everything I read, that the let the word of Christ is talking about specifically the message of all of redemptive history being fulfilled and what the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus accomplished, his death and resurrection. Let this word of the gospel dwell richly uh, within you. Uh, in Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians, it says, uh, 9 verse 12, says, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We'll endure anything to not be any kind of a stumbling block to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message that I've sold out to, Teresa has, our family, and, and as Grace Harvest Church that we're selling out to to present. It is the word of Christ. Let that message of the gospel. It is the 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 driving force of the Apostle Paul in all of his letters, it is to protect and defend the message of the gospel, the pure message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let that word, that word of truth, that word of Christ, that word of the gospel dwell richly within you. That means we need to be growing deeply in the gospel and all of its ramifications uh, just to let the gospel loose. It has the power. It has the power. Release it. I think it was Spurgeon said it's like a, 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 a caged lion or something. Just let it out. You don't have to do anything. The gospel release. The word of Christ uh, is that power. So that's what we do. Uh, we, we focus on and we let that gospel truth dwell in us richly. Let the word of Christ dwell. I know uh, Shippen kind of read this from Sam Storm's book about dwell. Dwell, you know, sometimes let it dwell there. Let it dwell richly. Sounds like it kind of just lays there. It kind of dwells. But Storms wanted to bring out dwell means uh, should not be taken as some sort of inert or static presence. Just let it dwell there. But dwell should be seen as a dynamic force and it envisions an operation and transformative and powerful force within and among us. So this is an exhortation of, of, you know, to the church at Colossae, like, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the gospel, you know, dwell with you. Dig into it. Look into the depths of the cross and what is the atonement has done for you. Dig into the depths of the uh, resurrection of Christ and fully know all what that gives you now and the hope of your future. Let it revolu Let all of the ramifications of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection grow deeply in that. Let it, let it set, set forth this dynamic force in you in and among us that we talk about, that we're excited about the gospel and its power not about any person you know individual or you know nothing 
you know, it's, it's not a personality or a, you know, uh, the way a person does this or that. It's the power of the message. It's the power, that's what consumed Paul, was defending the message of the gospel, you know. And this was what uh, he, he told the Corinthians, not, you know, that he would not want to put any obstacle in the way uh, of, the, of the gospel. So dwelling you richly with abundance within each of the hearts of the members of the body of Christ, this word of truth in the gospel should be the dynamic force that's working in among us and through us at all times, and especially when we gather together here as a church. It's the gospel that has brought us together. And so when you're full of the gospel and it's richly dwelling within you, the word of Christ, man, you're just talking about Jesus. And you know what? You start overflowing and singing about Jesus. So what you do is when you're coming together, especially in the body of Christ, what do you do when the word of Christ is dwelling with it richly within you? You begin to teach, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the outflowing of letting the word of the gospel uh, come together. It's that it dwells within you and you come in, you, you want to you exhort and come together with the saints and worship uh, as the worship team leads us into praise. Praise as we're singing to one another uh, and teaching one another and admonishing one another when we sing these songs together. That's what's happening in our corporate worship. Uh, Colossians 1, uh, 28 said, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul now is saying that that happens within the corporate body of Christ. That was his goal, to present everyone mature in Christ through his ministry, but warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And here he's saying we admonish and we teach, so like warning, teaching, admonishing one another with all wisdom. Again, he uses that, that wisdom or in or with all wisdom. And so where does this wisdom, this encouragement for wisdom, Colossians 1, 9, uh, right there in the prayer that Rifle prayed this morning from Colossians, saying, talks about praying and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. This teaching one another and admonishing one another in the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in all wisdom is this, this that wisdom that spiritual wisdom that the apostle paul prayed for them in colossians 1 9 he also pointed to where this wisdom uh, came from and who who possessed this wisdom in colossians 2 he started out that chapter which is christ verse 3 of colossians 2 in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so we're teaching and admonishing one another and psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, we're singing about Jesus in him. In him is all the wisdom. He is the wisdom and knowledge of God. And we're encouraging and singing to one another about Jesus and to walk in Jesus and that all the good in our life has come through him. So a lot of this was, was a big shift within churches a little over 500 years ago in the Reformation. Uh, with Martin Luther, he 
there, there were uh, very uh, songs sung, but they were sung by uh, the choir, and you just sat there and, and listened. You were receptive of that. But when the Reformation happened, uh, Martin Luther really introduced the birth of the congregational singing. He brought a significant change in uh, what psalms and hymns were uh, and how they were to be sung. Uh, so never before that, you know, within the church had the people played such an active role in the church services. So when you come in, you're an active role. The worship team doesn't want to be up here uh, playing without you being an active role in the singing. They want to hear you singing. And in doing that, we're singing about Jesus, that wisdom of Christ, and we're teaching and admonishing one another. Let's all follow him. Let's all hear him. We're teaching one another. We're admonishing one another. Let's like almost a refocusing of our lives on him, which we need really every day. But it powerfully happens when we come together as the body of Christ. And, and the Apostle Paul is saying that. He is very much talking about the congregation coming together in praise in these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we sing to one another. And he says that, that you're teaching and admonishing one another. And, and so I want to just close with the, the idea of thanksgiving because he does. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he is saying whatever you do. He's, you know, in all that we do within the body of Christ, uh, together in our life together, uh, whether in word or in deed, and what he's meaning is everything in all of our life. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the supreme commander in your life. You are following the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he is Lord. He's not your personal secretary for you to order him to go and do little things that you need him to do. Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord of your life. And uh, you, you're listening to him. You're following him and his commands. And everything you do, he is priority and supreme in your life. So yes, everything you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Thanksgiving is to be to accompany all of our activity, everything we do. There's thanksgiving uh, in our hearts. This is a good, we used to say, you know, uh, you know, before we ate, you know, let's give thanks. I mean, that was the word, let's give thanks. You know, let's stop and give thanks because we're acknowledging, uh, give us this day our daily bread, that this comes from God. God is our provider. We're stopping to give thanks. The world isn't going to do that. They're not going to stop and give thanks for their food. They went out and got it. And they, they did it. Christians stop and give thanks. And they stop and give thanks for everything. They stop in, in the enjoyments of life. They give thanks. And in every acti activity, it should accompany every activity. Uh, giving thanks. And it is to be given, uh, which ascends to the Father through Jesus. Through Jesus, through what he accomplished, we can sing about our salvation to him, you know, and just think as we grow in our salvation how deeply and what it means to us 
more and more each day, we can give thanks uh, to him for his saving grace in our life. We can just stop and give thanks to him for his presence in our life. We can stop and give thanks for when we were singing about the blood and just coming to the blood, uh, what it does. And we could look back and see and read uh, Leviticus and see, oh, if you did this sin, you got to go present this goat, cup it, sacrifice it, burn it, do all this, da da da. And then you receive forgiveness. And if you do this against your neighbor, here's how they related in the uh, people of God. And if you sin against them and you stole against them, because that was happening back there, and you did this offense and sin, then take this bull, sacrifice it, shed the blood, do all this. Uh, you know, you know. Now what we have to do? Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us in Jesus, because there's been one sacrifice, and we come and all these things. I mean, you can just turn and give Him thanks for, you know, His forgiveness, and then the offer of forgiveness is, "Will you forgive me?" And it's like. Here's my parting. Would you forgive me when you did this against me? It's like, boom. Wow. The freedom that we have of forgiveness and, you know, the immediacy of it, of its, of its availability of, of submission to what God has done for us in Jesus. And that thankfulness comes in his birth uh, in everything we do, all of our activities together, we turn them into giving thanksgiving and the colossians three fifteen says and be thankful when he adds that it means just that continuation of becoming thankful it was like that act of like we are thankful and we're becoming more and more thankful like as god continues to unfold the gospel reveal the mystery of god's love in jesus what happens is uh, you become more and more thankful that's what that and be thankful is. It's like and become more and more and keep becoming more and more thankful. That's the exhortation there. And you know what? You know, as you meditate on the word of the gospel and the mystery unfolds deeper and deeper in your heart, the outcome of that is you are going to be more and more thankful. It's happened in my life as I've got older. Longer stretches of just being thankful coming more and more to realizing how much God has given to me in Jesus. And so the closing exhortation is to and be thankful for all that he has done in our life. My prayer is may we every every day grow more and more in becoming a people full of thanksgiving. You're walking in a different attitude and spirit when you're walking being thankful may each day of our life result in a time of deep thanksgiving to god through jesus christ our lord amen amen as we come together to celebrate the lord's supper together we celebrate the cup and the bread may we remember the lord's death until he comes and may we be thankful. So we're going to offer you to come to the Lord's table and to receive uh, the bread and the fruit of the vine. If you're a believer and have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to join us uh, in this communion. And please just take one of these cups 
and it has bread in the bottom of it. So there's two cups there. And return to your seat, and we'll pray together and take the Lord's Supper together. Amen. Please come.
Jeez. 
receive this uh, closing prayer and blessing. Lord, thank you for blessing us so richly in Christ. Thank you for your exhortation to put on Christ in our, all of these garments, Lord. May we go out just thanking you in praise. Send your people out with a joyful thankfulness in their heart for how you have allowed us to walk together with your peace ruling over our hearts. Uh, ruling in peace with one another, God, walking in a manner of bearing with and forgiving one another, Lord, and all your exhortations in the scripture, Lord, for your great grace, we give you praise, and may we be a people that give all the praise and glory to you, Jesus, our Lord and our Master and Savior, for it's in his name we pray, amen. amen. Love one another. <laughs>